Praise the Lord, everyone. I'd like to turn to the book of Luke, chapter 18. And then if you've got your finger there, just turn to Matthew chapter 7, please. Luke 18, verses 1 to 8, and it reads, And he spake a parable unto them to this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying there was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he saith within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard men, man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? And I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. And then Matthew 7, verses 7 to 11. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you, whom if his son ask bread, he shall give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things good things to them that ask him. And I didn't ask you to turn there, but I'm going to read Galatians 6 and 9. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. This morning we heard go, and tonight you will hear go again. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, just ask you, oh God, that your hand be upon me, to minister what you have laid on my heart. There is not a doubt in my mind, Lord, that you have placed this on my heart, O Lord Jesus. I know that from the confirmation of your word, not just this morning, Lord, but in the weeks previous, O God, that you are speaking to your people. I pray, O God, that we would have the faith, O Lord, and the good ground in our heart to receive it. In the name of Jesus, amen. Both passages we read in Luke and in Matthew relate to prayer. Jesus told the story of the woman and the unjust judge to drive home the point that we ought always to pray and not give up. The conversation in Matthew has a similar message. To pray always implies that there should be a daily routine of communication with God. After all, communication is the foundation of any healthy relationship. If we draw nigh to God, he will draw nigh to us. That means we must make the first move. We start talking. 
we start reading his word. As followers of Christ, we should be diligent in our efforts to cultivate a relationship with him through prayer and reading of his word. This isn't easy and requires perseverance. The Oxford Dictionary tells us to 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 persevere is to continue in a course of action even in the face of difficulty or with little or no indication of success. The life of a widowed Jewish woman was difficult. Not only must she deal with the loss of her husband, but now she has to rely on family members to provide for her and support her financially. As a widow, she could not inherit her husband's estate. The responsibility of her care would fall on her eldest son and if there were no children, the the responsibility would fall to her husband's brother. We do not know the detail of the woman's difficulty except that someone had done her wrong. They had cheated her of something she was entitled to and she sought vengeance for this. Her survival depended on justice being served for the wrong done to her And despite the opposition she encountered at the judge's office, she continually came to plead her case before him. Every morning she woke up with the intention to go again before the judge and seek retribution for the wrong that was done to her. She would go again and knock until someone answered and go again and ask for justice. She made up in her mind that she would go again and again and again until the judge actioned the justice she desired. For many days, she had little or no indication of what the judge was thinking. There were were days it seemed that she would never be successful in her petition, but she was not deterred from her course of action. Even when it was difficult and it looked hopeless, she would go again. Not to give up implies persistence. The Oxford Dictionary gives us the definition of persistence as the fact of continuing in an opinion or course of action in spite of difficulty or opposition. Not to give up suggests that God is okay with us coming to him again with the same requests day in and day out. It also implies that we may not get what we ask for immediately even if it is his will to give it to us. Jesus uses the analogy of a man and his son, that if a son was to ask his father for something to eat, and we all know when children are hungry, they just don't ask once, the father would give him what he asks for. It is for the child's persistence that he receives from the parent. And if an earthly father would give his hungry child what he asks for to eat, How much more will our Heavenly Father give us the desires of our spiritual hunger if we ask of Him? All that is required of us is persistence to ask and we until we receive, seek until we find, knock until it is open unto us, because we know that our Heavenly Father will do what He said He will do. The asking, the seeking, And the knocking are not just once-off occurrences, but they are acts of perseverance and persistence. They are what we do when we are required to go again. 
Abraham lived seeking a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Imagine being a part of Abraham's household, being told we're moving yet again, having to pack up and set up everything with no promise of ever arriving at your final destination. Surely with the number of livestock and servants Abraham had, it would have been easy just to settle somewhere. But Abraham obeyed God. Each time the Lord would say, go again, Abraham moved his camp. Throughout the word of God, we find accounts where God required people to go again. Not just once, but several times. We know that God can do more than we ask, so why do we need to go again? Someone said recently that faith is demonstrated in our faithfulness. We demonstrate our faith in God when we continue in obedience. When we go again and it doesn't make sense. When we go again, even when we don't see the results. Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. The battle plan for conquering Jericho was unconventional to our human thinking. In fact, it doesn't make sense that you can bring down a wall by walking around it. Joshua was to assemble all the men of war and instruct them to surround the city. Seven priests would accompany them and precede the Ark of the Covenant. These seven priests would blow the trumpets as the men assembled and, they, and as they walked around the wall. Everyone else, everyone else was to walk in complete silence and not utter a word, not even whisper. To my thinking, I think that would be the hardest part, not saying anything. But hard for me. Every day they would go again and repeat what they did on the first day. And they did this for six days. Imagine what it looked like for those on the wall who were expecting to defend the city. How strange and eerie the atmosphere was on the first day and even on the second. Perhaps on the fourth or even the fifth day, the men of the wall began to relax and begin to jeer at those walking around the city. So now the children of Israel not only had odd instructions, but they had to put up with the enemies mocking them and no doubt throwing things over the wall at them. But on the seventh day, the pattern changed. Instead of once around the city, they marched twice and then three times and they went again and again and again. The eeriness in the atmosphere returned as the defenders of Jericho witnessed the change in strategy. And when the children of Israel had completed the march around the city for the seventh time, on the seventh day, the sound of the trumpet changed and the men of Israel let out a mighty shout. And with the shout, the Lord caused the foundations of the wall to crumble and, to, and the earth to shake. And that mighty stronghold that seemed impenetrable fell down flat so that the army of Israel had access to the city. We have strongholds in our lives. In military terms, strongholds are fortified places of security or survival. When the enemy was going to attack, the people of the town had a better chance of survival if they made it into the stronghold. The walls of Jericho were the stronghold. The city was straightly shut up and no one went in or out because they were anticipating an attack from the children of Israel. We allow strongholds in our life because we think they protect us. 
They are usually erected because of past hurts inflicted upon us by others. Our strongholds can act as coping mechanisms. Sometimes that can be a behavior or a habit that we've adopted or a mindset that triggers feelings and emotions that cause us to withdraw, to protect ourselves from hurt again. Sometimes we don't even know the name for the thing that has the power over us. We just know that it completely cripples us and we want to hide. Whatever stronghold we have, it will hinder what God wants to do in our lives. But just as the war, but just as walls take time to build, they can also take time to crumble and be destroyed. Yes, God can do it in a matter of moments, but sometimes it requires us to go again. Sometimes our victory is as much in the process as it is when God finally does it. Are we committed to the walk, to go again despite the stronghold and declare victory? We must walk the walk. Every day go again. Continue to do what is right. Go again and walk in faith. Go again, fight for victory. Not just today, but again tomorrow and the next day. Go again until the walls come down. Go again until the strongholds are broken. What if we came every Sunday and worshipped like it was the seventh time on the seventh day? What if we came expecting that our stronghold would come down today? And if it didn't, that our mind would be made up to go again, to keep doing what we know God wants us to do again and again and again. Victory begins with worship, shouting because of who he is, singing because of who he is, clapping, dancing, rejoicing because of who he is and how he has taken the time to make himself known to us. The book of Psalms shows us how to worship and why we should worship. Praise is mentioned 248 times in the Bible. And 217 times we are encouraged, even commanded to express our trust and love for God with three words. So altogether, it's 217 times that they appear. But what the first Hebrew word means to jump for joy, and it's translated as joyful. The Hebrew meaning, there's a Hebrew word that means spontaneous expressions of excitement and cheer, and it's translated as rejoice. And the Hebrew word that means to shout or sing aloud for joy, which is translated as joy. These three words collectively appear 217 times in the book of Psalms. This is a part, this is part of the arsenal that we have been given in order to bring down strongholds and break the chains that bind us and hold us back. The children of Israel came prepared for battle on the first day when all that was required of them was to walk around the city once. They could have done it in their runners and track pants, but they came in full battle gear. And the following day when they would go again, they were dressed for battle, even though there would be no battle on that day, but they were prepared. When we come together, are we dressed for battle? Our praise and worship in the congregation can shatter the strongholds in our life and the strongholds in the lives of those around us. 
It was the combined shout of an army of people and the supernatural intervention of God that brought Jericho down. When we go again and worship together, we can bring down the devices that the enemy uses against us so they no longer have the power over us. It's no wonder that we're required to gather together as a body of believers. It is where we go again to hear the word and worship. It's not a once-off experience. You can't just show up sporadically, unprepared, and expect strongholds to shatter. But when we go again, we we persevere through hardships, and we worship, and we go again, and we're persistent in our church attendance in spite of our difficulties, we will be victorious. Every time the doors open, it is time to go again and see what the Lord will do. If you need victory, go again. Worship God regardless of the problem that looms over you like a wall and declare the victory. Put that thing in its place by exalting the Lord God over it. Go again as many times as it takes to get a breakthrough. You know, you will know when it comes. You will feel it in your spirit. You will know that something has been loosed and you have been set free. In 2017, the Lord delivered me from social anxiety and it came through worship. Ever since I could remember, I had suffered with it. It wasn't diagnosed. When I was a child, it wasn't even a thing back then. I guess I was just considered to be a shy and nervous child when it came to new things and being in front of people. If somehow the attention came on me, I would be sick in my stomach, my hands would get all sweaty and my voice would be shaky and I would go to pieces. I failed my driving test because of social anxiety. I mucked up at piano concerts or organ concerts because of social anxiety. I couldn't play the organ while my mother sang in the other room because of social anxiety. I was a mess. I hated walking into a room full of people that I didn't know and did everything I could to avoid having to greet them all. And I don't know what it's like in other cultures, but when you're Italian, you have to greet everyone when you come into the room. I hated that. Mm. I hated that. The root of my anxiety was probably in my desire to please others. This is where I found my self-worth. Unfortunately, because I was a sensitive child, this also meant that any form of criticism was interpreted by me as not being good enough. And so whenever I was asked to do anything, it meant it had to be perfect. And the anticipation of someone's approval or disapproval meant the butterflies would go into overdrive. Interestingly, when I look back, I can see that I never felt this way when the Holy Ghost moved on me. As I grew up, I managed it. And um, and as things became a habit, like catching the bus to a new destination, the anxiety would subside. But in 2016, when I started working full-time, my anxiety became a daily event. Every morning, I would go to work, and when I saw my boss's car my stomach would start to churn and the hands would get sweaty and I would feel nervous and sick. 
I would walk into work and it would take me an hour or so to settle down. Once I knew what the day held, I could calm down and just get on with that. The following year, I was nominated for an award and would have to go to the head office in order to be present for the award ceremony. New people, new office, new yuck. My anxiety went into hyperdrive. I would feel sick in my stomach every time my boss brought it up. It was like she would do it intentionally to see the discomfort on my face. I did everything I knew I could to try and get out of it, but to no avail. A few weeks before I was to go on a Sunday evening, the Lord delivered me as I worshipped him in an altar. It wasn't during a worship service and it wasn't in an altar call. But George, you were singing, I'm no longer a slave to fear. And I came down to the altar and I didn't even know, you know, I just felt the Lord was dealing with me. I didn't know that anxiety and fear were connected. I didn't know I had anxiety. I didn't know I had fear. But I knew that the Lord was doing something in my life. And so I went down to the altar and I just worshipped. And I knew. I don't know what it was, but I knew he had taken care of it. And the next day when I went into work and I saw her car, it wasn't there. Hallelujah. It wasn't until later when I was doing some research into anxiety that I found out that, hey, what I suffered from was social anxiety. I had been to the altar many times. I had responded to the presence of God dealing with me many times. But I chose to go again and to respond again and go to the altar again. Had I chosen to sit in my seat and say, not today, Lord, I may still be suffering from social anxiety. He wants us to learn to go again, despite our difficulties and the opposition we face. He wants us to put our faith in action through faithfulness to his house, faithfulness in our praise and worship of him. He wants us to demonstrate the faith to go again. In 1 Kings 18, the Lord sends Elijah to Ahab to tell him that rain was coming. Israel had been in a drought up until this point because they had forsaken the commandments of the Lord and had followed after Baal. When Elijah finally comes face to face with Ahab, he commands that all the prophets of Baal meet him at Mount Carmel for the ultimate showdown. The God that would answer by fire, he was to be pronounced the God of Israel. And we know that Baal proved to be a false God and that, that the Lord God proved to be true. And Elijah then slaughtered the prophets of Baal and presented himself again to Ahab, this time to tell him, rain is coming. In verse 43, we find Elijah and his servant back on Mount Carmel. But this time, Elijah is on the ground with his face on his knees and he begins to pray for rain. God had promised the rain, but Elijah is now praying for the promise. After he prayed for a while, he sends his servant to go up and look over the sea to see if there's any sign of rain. Elijah does not go himself. He simply returns to prayer as the servant makes his way up and back with the news. 
nothing but blue skies. Elijah's not discouraged by the news and he sends the servant to go again and not just one more time, but seven times. I believe that Elijah put a number on it so the servant wouldn't be discouraged and would go in obedience to his employer. He would go again. Each time the servant goes up to look towards the sea, he sees blue skies and brings back a negative report. No clouds, nothing that looks like rain. However, on the seventh time, that the servant, see, the servant sees a small cloud rising from the sea, the size of a man's hand. I like to think that, that this development excited the servant, even though it seemed insignificant. Finally, he'd seen something to report. Finally, a cloud. But could it possibly be enough to hold sufficient rain to end a drought? He tells Elijah, Behold! There arises a little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand. And with this news, Elijah stops praying and tells the servant to get to Ahab and advise him to get going to Jezreel before the rain stops him. And by the time the servant reaches Ahab, the sky is black with clouds and wind. There was no denying that rain was imminent. We do not know how long Elijah prayed. But it was longer than the prayer he prayed for the fire to come down from heaven and consume the offering and the water that surrounded it. Elijah prayed with the same expectation that the God that answered by fire would also answer with rain. Elijah humbled himself before God in prayer knowing that God would do what he said he would do. It was God that told Elijah to go and find Ahab and tell him that rain was coming. That wasn't Elijah's idea. God sent the drought as judgment on Israel and now he was going to end it. And Elijah would pray until it came to pass. There are times when we will be asked to do something that seems impossible and that our going again is pointless and our efforts will bring no or little success. I'm sure the servant felt that way. He was the one going up to look to report nothing each time. But in obedience he went. He was Elijah's eyes that day. He may not have seen the importance of the task he was given, but he was the one that saw the answer to Elijah's go-again faith. When we go again in obedience, whether we see the rain coming or not, our faithfulness will see the fulfillment of the promise. When we go again, we're a step closer to the answer, a step closer to the door being opened. To give up and do nothing will only prolong what God wants to do. The Holy Ghost is a requirement for salvation. It is a promise from God. It is not a gift that some people receive and other people don't. It is for you, your children, and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. God is pouring out his spirit. His promise is being filled today, fulfilled today. But it's upon those that are thirsty. Those who desire to be filled and present themselves at the well of living water and ask of him, give me to drink. They're the ones that shall receive. Ask and it shall be given. Go again. Ask and you shall be filled. Go again and ask until you receive the promise and hear the evidence of it. Elijah expected God to keep his word and send rain. 
but he still sought the face of God in prayer. He still presented himself before the Lord. He still sent the servant to go again and see if the rain was coming. It's the same for us. We must expect God to keep his promise to fill us with the Holy Ghost. But we must come before him and ask. We must present ourselves to him. We must go again and 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 he will do what he promised to do. God is not weary without asking. He knows what we need and yet he wants us to ask. He wants us to seek. He wants us to knock, not just once, but to go again and to go again. It, it, to be determined, to be as determined as the, win, the widow seeking vengeance. Naaman was a general in the Syrian army. He was very, he was a very important man and he was held in high esteem. He had the favor and the confidence of the king of Syria and was one of his mighty men of valor. It seemed Naaman had it all, success, riches and fame, but he was a leper. And at that time, there was no cure for leprosy. However, Naaman's wife had a little servant girl from the land of Israel. And this little girl knew of a prophet in Samaria and she suggested to her mistress that the prophet would recover Naaman of his leprosy if Naaman would go. So in 2 Kings 5 and 9, So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. Now for all of Naaman's importance, all he got from Elisha was a message. Go and wash in Jordan seven times and thy flesh shall come again to thee and thou shalt be clean. Naaman was furious. Elisha was so rude as to not even come out to see him. He was an important man that deserved the respect of a face-to-face meeting. And to send him to that muddy Jordan River when there were so many other, there were so many other rivers, clean rivers to wash in. To say that Naaman was offended, I think would be an understatement. But if it wasn't for Naaman's servant who gently reasoned with him, he would have allowed his pride and offense to rob him of his miracle. Be careful of those you surround yourself with. They will either feed your flesh and tell you what you want to hear or speak to your spirit and confirm what the Lord is dealing with you about. Those closest to you will either hinder or encourage you to go again. After hearing the reasoning of the servant, Naaman calmed down and obeyed the word of the prophet. He went to the Jordan and he dipped once. No change. He went again. No change. In my imagination, the servant is standing on the brink, the bank of the river with Naaman's cloak in his hand. And he's counting out loud. So Naaman dips, he says, one. And Naaman comes up and he looks at his skin, shakes his head. And, he, and the servant says, go again. And Naaman goes down in the water and, the, and he comes up and the servant says, two. And Naaman looks at his skin, shakes his head. And the servant says, go again. And this happens six times. Perhaps it wasn't for the, if it wasn't for the servant keeping loud count that Naaman would have given up and thought, forget this. But the servant would cry and cry again 
and Naaman would go again. And until, until finally on the seventh dip, when he came out of the water, Naaman was clean and his skin was like new. We can allow pride and offense to rob us of the miracle that comes with go again faith. We must allow the word to cleanse us, lest any root of bitterness, bitterness spring up in our heart. We must go again and hear the man of God, receive instruction and obey. We must go again and repent. We must go again and lay our flesh at an altar, humble ourselves before God and do what it is he requires us to do. We must go again. We may not see the success of our going again after seven times as Joshua, Elijah and Naaman did. But we have the assurance of the word of God through these stories and our opening scriptures that God sees when we go again. He sees when we persevere through difficulties and go again and when we persist despite opposition and we go again. At the end of the parable of the widow and the unjust judge, Jesus concludes by assuring his audience that yes, God hears the go-again prayers prayed to avenge his people and that vengeance will come quickly. But in spite of this assurance, he asks the question, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? The focus of our opening texts is not in the receiving, but the display of the kind of faith that Jesus is looking for. That despite difficulties and opposition, one will go again and continue the course of action whether they see results or not. This type of faith is not dependent on circumstances or situations. It pushes through things because the expectation is stronger than than the opposition and difficulties. This faith perseveres and it is persistent. It demonstrates complete trust and confidence in the one who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. Those with go-again faith have their eyes fixed on something they cannot see with their natural eyes. They are persuaded of the promises of God and embrace them. We may go again more than seven times. We may lose count the, the many times that we go again and see no result. But how do we know that this time is not the time that something will happen? Just like the widow widow woman didn't know if she would get her judgment or whether she would be sent away yet again. She just kept doing what she knew she needed to do. To go again is not to give up. It It is to live before God always and not to quit, regardless of how we are treated and who offends us. To go again is the realization that God is in control and whatever it is that he asks us to do, no matter how tedious and wearisome the outcome is in his hand. This is the type of faith that Jesus wants to find when he returns. Perseverance and persistence are qualities that speak of strength. They require energy and diligence to become a way of life. They are attributes that the Lord desires to develop in us. And the only way they are developed is through a process. Each time we're in hardship or or have opposition but continue to pray, read his word or go to church, participate in worship and live a separated life from the world, consecrated to God, these qualities are being strengthened and developed in us. Every time everything around us says give up, but we decide to go again, 
We are demonstrating the kind of faith that Jesus desires to find when he returns. If I could have a musician, please. We are being called to display the faith that will go again. To be like the widow coming before the unjust judge. He was the only one that had the authority to avenge her for the wrongdoing done to her. But he was crooked. He was unjust. He probably would have taken a bribe if she, a bribe if she had the money to pay it. Every time she came, he knocked her back, but she would go again. She was persistent in her petition to consistently pursue justice. And she expected and was confident that the judge would eventually exercise his power and accomplish what she asked of him. Yes, the judge grew weary of her. But he who was unjust ruled to avenge this woman. This woman, How much more will our Heavenly Father, who is just, avenge those who persist and persevere for the sake of his kingdom and his name? How much more shall our Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? Because we know this, we need to go again. Go again and ask. Go again and seek. Go again and knock. This morning we were told to go. And tonight I'm asking you to go again. Jesus is calling. Jesus is looking to see the kind of faith that, pers- that will persevere and persist. This is not the time to throw in the towel. The news reports every day tell us that Jesus is coming soon. Things will not get easier. There will be, we will have to persevere. We will have to persist. Our governments are, will become, if they're not already, unjust. And we see this happening around us. But will we, will we be like the widow woman? Do the right thing. Ask God to avenge us. Regardless of what's going on around us. We must be ready. We must continue to go again. Regardless of how we have failed in the past, we must go again and tear down some strongholds. We must go again and look for the things that God is doing in our midst. We must go again to an altar where we can be cleansed and made you. Go again and seek the infilling of the Holy Ghost. You need it to get out of here. We must go again. We must persevere. We must persist. Galatians tells us, and let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Folks, we have enough scripture to keep going. We have enough scripture to go again and know that God will hear us and know that God will answer us. If we want more of him, he will give that to us. He will not withhold any good thing to those who walk uprightly. If you would stand tonight, I want to open these altars. If there is something that you need from God, I'm asking you to come again. Go again and ask. Go again, seek his face. Go again and say, Lord, give me the drink. I need you, Jesus. Go again. If you have a stronghold in your life, I want to encourage you to come and worship the Lord. 
Give him everything you have. He will bring it down. He doesn't want you to be to hold back or to be withheld. He doesn't want you to be hindered in his kingdom. He wants you to go again, to be free, to experience the victory that he has given to us. Hallelujah.